Please stand for the reading of God's word from Philippians chapter 1. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now, as always, in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here, all of you that are in the room and those of you that are with us online. Um, We also had a great turnout at the Acre this morning. I want to remind you of just a couple of things before uh, we jump into the text, but if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and pull it out so you can uh, follow along with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to remind you about our Connections Lunch. That's going to be September 26th. Now, this is for people that have been showing up the last three or four weeks, that have found Highland as home, and you want to know more about how to plug in and how to engage at Highland. Um, we haven't talked much about the pathway in a while, but it's, but it's how, to, how, to, how to engage in our, our life together. Or this might be for you because you've been here for the last 18 months watching online and you're ready to commit, um, and this is for you. Or this might be for you if you're ready to recommit. You've been here for a while. Um, and it's time to get plugged in. Either way, you can RSVP at uh, highlandchurch.org connect and uh, let us know you're coming and we're excited to have you to be a part of that meal. Also, for our college students, uh, the Acre is kind of your primary gathering, but if you're in this room, man, we're glad you're here. But we want you to get plugged in. Uh, we want you to form a small community uh, as you focus on what Christ is doing in your world. And uh, the way we do that with our college is called our DIG groups. That's Discipleship in Groups. And it's this smaller community for our university students. Uh, get connected with one another. You're also going to get some spiritual mentors that are slightly older than you um, who are committed to walk with you uh, through this semester. That's, after, that's today, this afternoon at 5 o'clock, and uh, you meet in the foyer to start off. So if you're in college, you want to discover more about that, show up at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Um, this text this week really confused me. And it, it seems straightforward, but and, and at first glance, you kind of there's this really bright, shining billboard that flashes. But as you read this text over and over, the less clear it becomes. It's kind of like when I watched the movie Primer. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but uh, if you haven't, I would urge you to watch it at least once. But I think you're going to have to watch it like half a dozen times. I watched the movie Primer. And then I watched it again. 
I probably watched that movie a half dozen times. I went online and read, like, what is the plot line of this movie? And then I went to my friend, and my friend had probably watched, he was fascinated by that, by that film. He watched it over and over and over, and I'm like, you've got to explain this to me. I do not understand the plot of this at all. And he looked at me and he said, man, if you haven't watched this movie two dozen times, I'm not going to explain anything to you. You've got to earn this. Okay. Now, if you watched Tenet last summer, you kind of know what I'm talking about. The second time I watched Tenet, I still have no idea what's going on. Um, it's kind of like the elegance and the beauty of mathematical theorems. We all learned in geometry in eighth grade, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So the Pythagorean theorem, this has been around for over 2,000 years. And it's simple, and, and you, once you can understand that pretty easily, you apply it and it works, it's pretty easy. Until you try to figure it out for yourself. And then it's a little more complicated. Or another simple theorem like E equals MC squared. Everybody knows that. Everybody's heard of that. That might even tell you what it means. But it took the smartest person in probably a thousand years in physics to figure that out. My point is kind of simple, that getting there is a process. And when you open up your Bible to Philippians, one of the things that's going to strike you is how many kind of slogans appear. How many of these slogans, and they're easy to quote, they're easy to remember, it's easy to go to Mardell's and buy a t-shirt or something to hang on your wall that has it. For, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. But I got to be honest with you, that is not a bumper sticker. And what Paul is doing here is now is not providing you with a cool t-shirt slogan. Paul is meditating on what really matters when everything gets put on the table. And you've got to earn that statement. You don't just get to steal it. And so it's not so easy to understand this text today. See, what's happening for Paul is he's in prison. And in his imprisonment, he has no control. Someone tells you what you can and cannot do. Someone tells you where you can and cannot go. There he has no say anymore in his life whether he lives or dies because that's going to be decided by someone else. But he does have hope, and this is his hope, and it's, it's a tenuous hope. You can feel it when he says it, that when the time comes that he's put on trial, and remember from last week, it's not Paul that's going to be on, put on trial, but the gospel, that he will not put Jesus to shame, but instead he'll have the courage to honor God. And what Paul does in this little part of the first chapter of Philippians is he flips the script on his imprisonment. Because what looks like imprisonment is actually freedom. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But you've got to work to own that. You've got to put everything on the table. Because at first glance, to die is gain. It's the promise to see God face to face, not through a mirror darkly, but to be completely known. It's the promise that one day when you arrive in heaven, all of the questions that you have pondered and wrestled with your whole life will be answered. But more importantly, you're going to realize that most of those questions didn't really matter anyway. Because when you experience the presence of God, you will be completely and totally filled the promise for us, those of us who are baptized, is that you will never 
die. And nothing you are facing now will compare to the presence of heaven. Now that functions two ways. On one hand, no suffering that you're enduring right now, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much you've had to, to bear and carry, none of that will matter when you enter the presence of God. All of that suffering will be redeemed. But on the other hand, all of the good things that you've ex experienced in your life, all of the joy and the love, all of the fun and the excitement, all of that isn't going to matter either because in the presence of God, all of that becomes meaningless. Both our hurt will be redeemed and our, our joy will be kind of nullified when we experience the presence of God. And so Paul says, when I die, it's not a loss, it's a gain. But most of us know, and if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that our reflection on death is the reflection that matters. Because you had a scare. Maybe it was a, a near-miss auto wreck, and you should not have walked away from that, but somehow you did. Maybe it's that dark spot on an x-ray and a quiet doctor's office that said, we're going to have to look a little, little more closely at this. Maybe it was that tightness in your chest. Whatever it was, it was that moment where you clearly had to contemplate the uncomfortable reality of your own demise. And I need to tell you the truth that this, this verse sounds very different to me from when I was 22 to where I am now. And I, I cannot accurately plot the trajectory of my life. I have no ability to do that whatsoever. But what I do know is that this text becomes more and more meaningful the older I get. Because when I was 22, I thought, I have so much to lose. I have so much potential. There's so many more things that I want to experience and I want to enjoy. And, and there's no way that, that I want to lose any of that now. Now that I'm 43, I say to myself, I have so much that I'm responsible for and there's so much still that's left for me to do and the, the responsibility that I need to carry out. And so I need to keep do going. And so my guess is at 62 or 82, the, the, the reality of what you lose and the responsibility that you have to love and care for those around you, you have so much more to live for. And so we cannot hold to die as gain in any sort of flippant tone or toss it around like it's casual. Uh, the, the Golden Gate Bridge... Uh, from the bridge deck to the water of the San Francisco Bay is 245 feet. And you can see pictures of it. It's a beautiful, easy photographic uh, thing. But when you see it in real life, that height really strikes you. And unfortunately, this has been a place in the Bay Area where people will choose to jump. So much so that uh, now the, the Bay Area has counselors and their job is just to walk from one side of the bridge to the other, just having eyes out for somebody that looks like they need to talk. And in fact, on every, um, every pylon along the way, they've installed a phone and a sign that says, if you want someone to call, talk to someone right now. And about 10 years ago, they installed like a little net along the side to kind of catch people because so many people would choose to jump. And records are sketchy and you never 
know for certain, but they do know that uh, over a thousand people have made that choice, unfortunately. But what is amazing to me is that there is a few number of people who have survived. For whatever reason, the way they hit the water, for whatever happened, they, they lived. And the overwhelming testimony of the people that survived, the overwhelming witness of those that lived, was that from the moment they began to fall, they experienced an incredible moment of clarity. That whatever it was that was driving them to this moment, whatever burden that they were carrying that they couldn't seem to get rid of, whatever it was that was pushing them to make that choice, the moment they stepped off the bridge, they saw a way through. And their struggle was over. And they knew how to move forward. Because the reflection of looking death in the face provides you with the clarity that you need. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I want to pause to say a word to anyone that, that might be feeling or found themselves in that spot. Where it feels like there's no solution and it feels like there's no answer and it feels like all of your options are being limited slowly down to one and nobody really cares and nobody seems that concerned, that is a lie. And, and there is, at our church, people who desperately care about you and just don't know. And, and we want to be there for you. We have elders that care deeply for you. We have staff that would be willing, more, more than willing, to talk to you. In fact, we have a counseling center that is full of trained people to, to listen to you and help you think through that problem. Because the testimony of those that live on the Golden Gate Bridge is that there is clarity on the other side, no matter what fog you're in right now. Maybe the question that this text is asking us is not to live as Christ. The question is, what are you living for? I mean, what, what is your, your purpose? The, the, the jailer might have said, for me to live is order and discipline, The cloth merchant, Lydia, might have said, for me to live is wealth and comfort. The slave girl might have said, for me to live is freedom from control and abuse. What is it for you? What is it that you're living for? Because I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, when we're answering that question, we're not really living for things that matter. I mean, I could tell you, I'm living for the start of college football season, which is great. I'm living for the weekend because my job wears me out and I'm exhausted and I don't really love it. And so the weekend is my time where I get to do what I want and that's what I'm living for. Right now in my world, some days I'm living for 7.45 when all of my kids are in bed and I can finally catch my breath. That's just where we're at. That's what I'm living for sometimes. But those are not the real answers to that question. Some of us think that what we're living for is to make just a little bit more money or to advance our career a little further, or to become a little more known or famous, or at least Instagram famous. Jack Higgins is this famous author. He wrote 60 novels that were all bestsellers, extremely accomplished in his field. And and he was asked by someone one day, what do you wish someone told you when you were younger? 
And his answer was striking. He said, I wish someone had told me, when you get to the top, there is nothing there. The reality is most of the things that we live for can't hold our desire. Success and achievement for Jack Higgins could not, cannot hold what he wanted. Success and achievement are simply not big enough and strong enough a container to hold divine purpose and meaning. Straight A's cannot hold your purpose. Achievement at your job cannot hold your purpose. Even something as important as your family and your friends cannot hold your purpose. C.S. Lewis said, if I find my, in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If you have a desire that cannot be satisfied, if you can't find the container that is strong enough to hold it, then maybe what's happening is God is calling you to live for Christ. And when everything's on the table and you're looking at death in the face, you find yourself maybe able to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. My conviction is that most of us are living for things that are too small. The problem with our lives is that the stories we live by are too small. And what does it look like when we order our lives around Paul's words? And what this means is that you actually have to engage your desires more deeply than you ever imagined. It means that you can't settle. Because there's a lot of things that are going to tell you, this is achievement, this should make you feel good. This is important, it should make you feel good. This is popularity, this should make you feel good. But the reality is, is when you get to the top, you find out there was nothing there after all. The only thing that can satisfy is Christ. Maybe another question related to what are you living for is are you living at all? And what I mean by that is have you given up on the purpose? To be honest with you, in the last season, the pandemic season, which honestly, when all of this started back in March, I thought eight weeks, we're good, we're done, it'll be over, right? I remember making this video for the church that said like, hey, we're all going to be in lockdown for a little while, so why don't you learn a foreign language? I can't believe I even said that, you know, now looking back at the last 18 months. That sounds ridiculous to me now. We have been living in a season where a lot of us have not been able to do the living that we want to do. And in fact, what has happened instead is we have been piled on with more and more stress and worry and fear and anxiety than we ever thought we'd have to manage. We've had to make decisions at work or at home that are incredibly difficult. And the net result is that we're not living at all. We're just kind of surviving. We're running on this treadmill and the lie that's on that treadmill is, um, it'll be bad this week, but next week it'll be easier. It's hard right now, but it's going to slow down soon. And it's not. 
Brene Brown has some fascinating advice about this, um, and it's, it's in one of her uh, podcasts like two or three years ago. She's talking with these two clinicians, and, the, and she's talking about the stress cycle. And basically what she says in the stress cycle is that all of our emotions are, are chemical and neurological. All of your emotions have a place in your body, which is weird to think about. When you have sadness, it exists in your mind. It exists in your endocrine system. When you're under stress, it exists in your body. And your body's designed to handle it. it has, emotions, stress, all of those things have a beginning and a middle and an end. And you go through them and you're fine. Your body's good. But what happens in extended times of stress is it's like the train goes into the tunnel, but then it doesn't get out. Another way that she describes it is it's like and you have trash in your trash can, but instead of taking your trash out to the dumpster, you put it like under the sink. And your kitchen's clean. It looks great. No big deal. Until the next trash comes, you put that under your sink. Eventually, under your sink's full, and so you start throwing it in your bathroom and your closets, and everything's great until all of a sudden the closet bursts open and all that trash comes out. When you live under extended times of stress and anxiety without processing it out, it just, it lives in your body. And all of a sudden, after a while, your body starts letting you know. Your body starts telling you this is no good. And you start to have stress, tightness of chest. It's hard to breathe. You have these weird phantom pains that you've never had before. You find yourself more irritable than you've ever been before because you've just been stuffing it all in somewhere and it has to go somewhere. And so if that's where you've been, or you've noticed in the last two or three months, you feel those symptoms of just like random anger, irritability. You're not sleeping well like you used to. You're not having fun like you used to. You're not really living at all. Then find a way to finish the cycle. And a Christian way to finish that cycle is, is through meditation and prayer. But your meditation and prayer can take the form of exercise. It can take the form of running. It can take the form of laughing really hard with friends. It can take the form of a conversation where you're really listened to, where someone really pays attention to you. It can take the form of a 20-second hug. This is the most beautiful therapeutic exercise I've ever heard in my entire life. Go home and hug somebody for 20 seconds. Don't let go. Just hang on to them until you feel better. Like, man, how awesome would that be? And it's way easier than a treadmill. But you can do all of those things. Things. And you can complete the stress cycle. And what happens in your life is you find the, the energy, you find the place to begin to contemplate the set question again what am I living for? Because, I mean, one way to think about this is if. If you're not dead, then God's not done with you, right? As long as there's air in your lungs and your blood is pumping, there is still something that God has left for you. And we all know what that is. It's, 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 it's fun. God delights in you. If you're still alive, then God still wants to delight in you and have, have fun with you and explore who you are. And God wants to refine you and make you look more like Jesus Christ. God wants you to help you grow in maturity so that you can be a better image of what God has created you to be, the truest self of your own form. If, if God, if there's still air in your lungs, then God still has you, wants, wants you to be on in mission with him. 
God still has adventure for you and new things to explore and new places in the world that he needs you to affect. We are living so that we can spread Christ. We can be Christ. We can delight in Christ. And maybe, just maybe, we're getting closer, not to the bumper sticker, but the deep truth that Paul reveals that to live is Christ and to die is gain. For the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring this art project, and I, and I love how beautiful it's becoming. And each of those ribbons is, is attached to one of you. Uh, we put just as many ribbons on there as there are people, uh, red for two weeks ago, yellow for last week. This week, we're going to have another ribbon. And I want you to contemplate, contemplate a question. The first question we, we ask at the beginning of this series is, what is the unfinished work God is completing in your life? Because the promise of God is what God started in you, God will finish. What is the work that God is doing in your life that needs to be finished? God needs to finish. The second question was, where is that place in your life where you can use your imperfect circumstance to bring God's glory? Where is the place in your life where Christ can work and it feels like a loss, but God can flip it over and turn it into a win? The third question today is a, is a harder question. What are you living for? Why are we here? And what's your purpose? Will you please stand for our benediction? I want to remind you, if you're new here, man, we are so glad you're here. Uh, you can go to highlandchurch.org slash connect and... Uh, you can, we can connect with you. We want to follow up with you this week. We're glad. If, if, if there's someone wearing one of these name tags uh, or lanyards, it means that they're happy to help you in any way, and we're glad. Come and find one of us and then chat with us. But this week, may you see the work of God in everything you do and everywhere you go. May you feel the Spirit inside of you, changing you, renewing you, prompting you toward goodness. And may you see Jesus Christ on the faces of your brothers and sisters. Go in peace.